0: Section 9 of State of the Union Addresses, 1885 to 1888. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 9. Grover Cleveland, December third, eighteen 1888, Part 2. On the 9th of August, 1887, Notification was given by the Japanese minister at this capital of the adjournment of the conference for the revision of the treaties of Japan with foreign powers, owing to the objection of his government to the provision in the draft jurisdictional convention, which required the submission of the criminal code of the empire to the powers in advance of its becoming operative. This notification was, however accompanied with an assurance of Japan's intention to continue the work of revision. Notwithstanding this temporary interruption of negotiations, it is hoped that improvements may soon be secured in the jurisdictional system as respects foreigners in Japan and relief afforded to that country from the present undue and oppressive foreign control in matters of commerce. I earnestly recommend that relief be provided for the injuries accidentally caused to Japanese subjects in the island Ikisima by the target practice of one of our vessels. A diplomatic mission from Korea has been received, and the formal intercourse between the two countries contemplated by the Treaty of 1882 is now established. Legislative provision is hereby recommended to organize and equip consular courts in Korea. Persia has established diplomatic representation at this capital and has evinced very great interest in the enterprise and achievements of our citizens i am therefore hopeful that beneficial commercial relations between the two countries may be brought about i announce with sincere regret that haiti has again become the theatre of insurrection disorder and bloodshed the titular government of president solomon has been forcibly overthrown and he driven out of the country to france where he has since died the tenure of power has been so unstable amid the war of factions that has ensued since the expulsion of president salomon that no government constituted by the will of the haitian people has been recognized as administering responsibly the affairs of that country our representative has been instructed to abstain from interference between the varying factions and a vessel of our navy has been sent to Haitian waters to sustain our minister and for the protection of the persons and property of American citizens. Due precautions have been taken to enforce our neutrality laws and prevent our territory from becoming the base of military supplies for either of the warring factions. Under color of blockade, of which no reasonable notice has been given, and which does not appear to have been efficiently maintained, a seizure of vessels under the American flag has been reported, and in consequence measures to prevent and redress any molestation of our innocent merchantmen have been adopted. Proclamation was duly made on the ninth day of November, eighteen eighty seven, of the conventional extensions of the treaty of June the third, eighteen seventy five, with Hawaii under which relations of such special and beneficent intercourse have been created in the vast field of oriental commerce now unfolded from our pacific borders no feature presents stronger recommendations for congressional action than the establishment of communication by submarine telegraph with honolulu the geographical position of the hawaiian group in relation to our pacific states creates a natural interdependency and mutuality of interest which our present treaties were intended to foster, and which makes close communication a logical and commercial necessity. The wisdom of concluding a treaty of commercial reciprocity with Mexico has been heretofore stated in my messages to Congress, and the lapse of time and growth of commerce with that close neighbor and sister republic confirm the judgment so expressed. The precise relocation of our boundary line is needful, and adequate appropriation is now recommended. It is with sincere satisfaction that I am enabled to advert to the spirit of good neighborhood and friendly cooperation and conciliation that has marked the correspondence and action of the Mexican authorities in their share of the task of maintaining law and order about the line of our common boundary. The long-pending boundary dispute between Costa Rica and Nicaragua was referred to my arbitration, and by an award made on the 22nd of March last, the question has been finally settled to the expressed satisfaction of both the parties in interest. The Empire of Brazil, in abolishing the last vestige of slavery among Christian nations, called forth the earnest congratulations of this government in expression of the cordial sympathies of our people. The claims of nearly all other countries against Chile, growing out of her late war with Bolivia and Peru, have been disposed of, either by arbitration or by a lump settlement. Similar claims of our citizens will continue to be urged upon the Chilean government, and it is hoped will not be subject to further delays. A comprehensive treaty of amity and commerce with Peru was proclaimed on November the 7th last, and it is expected that under its operation mutual prosperity and good understanding will be promoted. In pursuance of the policy of arbitration, a treaty to settle the claim of Santos, an American citizen, against Ecuador, has been concluded under my authority and will be duly submitted for the approval of the Senate. Like disposition of the claim of Carlos Butterfield against Denmark and of Juan Bocchelen against Haiti will probably be made, and I trust the principle of such settlements may be extended in practice under the approval of the Senate. Through unforeseen causes, foreign to the will of both governments, the ratification of the Convention of December 5, 1885, with Venezuela for the rehearing of claims of citizens of the United States under the Treaty of 1866, failed of exchange within the term provided, and a supplementary convention, further extending the time for exchange of ratifications and explanatory of an ambiguous provision of the prior convention, now awaits the advice and consent of the Senate. Although this matter in the stage referred to concerns only the concurrent treaty making power of one branch of Congress, I advert to it in view of the interest repeatedly and conspicuously shown by you in your legislative capacity in favor of a speedy, an equitable adjustment of the questions growing out of the discredited judgments of the previous mixed commission of caracas with every desire to do justice to the representations of venezuela in this regard the time seems to have come to end this matter and i trust the prompt confirmation by both parties of the supplementary action referred to will avert the need of legislative or other action to prevent the longer withholding of such rights of actual claimants as may be shown to exist. As authorized by the Congress, preliminary steps have been taken for the assemblage at this capital during the coming year of the representatives of South and Central American states together with those of Mexico, Haiti, and San Domingo to discuss sundry important monetary and commercial topics. Excepting in those cases where, from reasons of contiguity of territory, and the existence of a common border-line incapable of being guarded reciprocal commercial treaties may be found expedient it is believed that commercial policies inducing freer mutual exchange of products can be most advantageously arranged by independent but cooperative legislation in the mode last mentioned the control of our taxation for revenue will be always retained in our own hands unrestricted by conventional agreements with other governments. In conformity also with Congressional authority, the maritime powers have been invited to confer in Washington in April next upon the practicability of devising uniform rules and measures for the greater security of life and property at sea. A disposition to accept on the part of a number of the powers has already been manifested and if the cooperation of the nations, chiefly interested, shall be secured, important results may be confidently anticipated. The Act of June twenty sixth, 1884, and the Acts amendatory thereof in relation to tonnage duties, have given rise to extended correspondence with foreign nations with whom we have existing treaties of navigation and commerce, and have caused wide and regrettable divergence of opinion in relation to the imposition of the duties referred to these questions are important and i shall make them the subject of a special and more detailed communication at the present session with the rapid increase of immigration to our shores and the facilities of modern travel abuses of the generous privileges afforded by our naturalization laws call for their careful revision the easy and unguarded manner in which certificates of american citizenship can now be obtained has induced a class unfortunately large to avail themselves of the opportunity to become absolved from allegiance to their native land and yet by a foreign residence to escape any just duty and contribution of service to the country of their proposed adoption thus while evading the duties of citizenship to the united states they may make prompt claim for its national protection and demand its intervention in their behalf. International complications of a serious nature arise, and the correspondence of the State Department discloses the great number and complexity of the questions which have been raised. Our laws regulating the issue of passports should be carefully revised, and the institution of a central bureau of registration at the capital is again strongly recommended. By this means, full particulars of each case of naturalization in the United States would be secured and properly indexed and recorded, and thus many cases of spurious citizenship would be detected and unjust responsibilities would be avoided. The reorganization of the consular service is a matter of serious importance to our national interests. The number of existing principal consular offices is believed to be greater than is at all necessary for the conduct of the public business it need not be our policy to maintain more than a moderate number of principal offices each supported by a salary sufficient to enable the incumbent to live in comfort and so distributed as to secure the convenient supervision through subordinate agencies of affairs over a considerable district i repeat the recommendations heretofore made by me, that the appropriations for the maintenance of our diplomatic and consular service should be recast, that the so-called notorial or unofficial fees, which our representatives abroad are now permitted to treat as personal perquisites, should be forbidden, that a system of consular inspection should be instituted, and that a limited number of secretaries of legation at large should be authorized. Preparations for the centennial celebration on April thirtieth, eighteen eighty nine, of the inauguration of George Washington as President of the United States at the city of New York have been made by a voluntary organization of the citizens of that locality, and believing that an opportunity should be afforded for the expression of the interest felt throughout the country in this event, I respectfully recommend fitting and cooperative action by Congress on behalf of the people of the United States. The report of the Secretary of the Treasury exhibits in detail the condition of our national finances and the operations of the several branches of the government related to this department. The total ordinary revenues of the government for the fiscal year ended June 30, 1889, amounted to $379 million $266,074.76, of which $219,091,173.63 was received from customs duties and $124,296,871.98 from Internal Revenue Taxes. The total receipts from all sources exceeded those of the fiscal year ended June 30, 1887, by $7, $7,862,797.10. The ordinary expenditures of the government for the fiscal year ending June 30, 1888 were $259,653,958.67, leaving a surplus of 119000000 six hundred twelve thousand one hundred sixteen dollars and nine cents. The decrease in these expenditures are compared with the fiscal year ended june 30, eighty seven was eight million two hundred seventy eight thousand two hundred twenty one dollars thirty cents, notwithstanding the payment of more than five million for pensions in excess of what was paid for that purpose in the latter mentioned year. The revenues of the government for the year ending June thirtieth, eighteen eighty nine, ascertained for the quarter ended September thirtieth, eighteen eighty eight, and estimated for the remainder of the time, amount to three hundred seventy seven million, and the actual and estimated ordinary expenditures for the same year are two hundred seventy three million, leaving an estimated surplus of one hundred four million. The estimated receipts of the year ending June 30, 1890 are 377000000 and the estimated ordinary expenditures for the same time are $275,767,488.34, showing a surplus of $101,232,511.66. The foregoing statements of surplus do not take into account the sum necessary to be expended to meet the requirements of the Sinking Fund Act, amounting to more than $47 million annually. The cost of collecting the customs revenues for the last fiscal year was 2.44%, for the year 1885 it was 3.77%. The excess of internal revenue taxes collected during the last fiscal year over those collected for the year ended june 30 1887 was 5,489,174 dollars and 26 cents and the cost of collecting this revenue decreased from 3.4% in 1887 to less than 3.2% of the last year the tax collected on oleo margarine was $723,948.04 for the year ending June 30, 1887, and $864,139.88 for the following year. The requirements of the Sinking Fund Act have been met for the year ended June thirtieth, 1888, and for the current year also, by the purchase of bonds after complying with this law as positively required and bonds sufficient for that purpose had been bought at a premium it was not deemed prudent to further expend the surplus in such purchases until the authority to do so should be more explicit a resolution however having been passed by both houses of congress removing all doubt as to executive authority daily purchases of bonds were commenced on the st- 23rd day of april 1888 and have continued until the present time by this plan bonds of the government not yet due have been purchased up to and including the thirtieth day of november 1888 amounting to ninety four million seven hundred thousand four hundred the premium paid thereon amounting to seventeen million five hundred eight thousand six hundred thirteen dollars and eight cents the premium added to the principal of these bonds represents an investment yielding about 2% interest, for the time they still had to run, and the saving to the government represented by the difference between the amount of interest at 2% upon the sum paid for principal and premium, and what it would have paid for interest at the rate specified in the bonds if they had run to their maturity, is about $27,165,000. At first sight this would seem to be a profitable and sensible transaction on the part of the government, but, as suggested by the secretary of the treasury, the surplus thus expended for the purchase of bonds was money drawn from the people, in excess of any actual need of the government, and was so expended, rather, than allow it to remain idle in the treasury. If this surplus, under the operation of just and equitable laws, had been left in the hands of the people, it would have been worth in their business at least 6% per annum. Deducting from the amount of interest upon the principal and premium of these bonds for the time they had to run at the rate of 6%, the saving of 2% made for the people by the purchase of such bonds, the loss will appear to be $55,760,000. This calculation would seem to demonstrate that if excessive and unnecessary taxation is continued, and the government is forced to pursue this policy of purchasing its own bonds at the premiums which it will be necessary to pay, the loss to the people will be hundreds of millions of dollars. Since the purchase of bonds was undertaken as mentioned nearly, all that have been offered were at last accepted. It has been made quite apparent that the government was in danger of being subjected to combinations to raise their price, as appears by the instance cited by the Secretary, of the offering of bonds of the par value of only $326,000 so often that the aggregate of the sums demanded for their purchase amounted to more than $19,700,000. Notwithstanding the large sums paid out in the purchase of bonds, the surplus in the treasury on the thirtieth day of November eighteen eighty-eight was fifty-two million two hundred thirty-four thousand six hundred ten dollars and one cent, after deducting about twenty million just drawn out for the payment of pensions. At the close of the fiscal year ended 30, 1887, and the June thirtieth, eighteen eighty-seven, under the compulsory silver coinage act, two hundred sixty-six million nine hundred eighty-eight thousand. $280 in silver dollars, $55,504,310 of which were in the hands of the people. On the 13th day of June, 1888, there had been coined $299,708,790, and of this $55,829,303 was in circulation in coin and 200,387,376 in silver certificates, for the redemption of which silver dollars to that amount were held by the government. On the 13th day of November 1888, 312,570,990 dollars had been coined, 60,970,990 dollars of the silver dollars were actually in circulation, and $237,418,346 in certificates. The Secretary recommends the suspension of the further coinage of silver, and in such recommendation I earnestly concur. For further valuable information and timely recommendations, I ask the careful attention of the Congress to the Secretary's report. The Secretary of War reports that the army at the date of the last consolidated returns consisted of 2,189 officers and 24,449 enlisted men. The actual expenditures of the War Department for the fiscal year ended June 30, 1888, amounted to $41,165,107.07, of which sum 9158000 Five hundred sixteen dollars and sixty three cents was expended for public works, including river and harbor improvements. The Board of Ordnance and Fortifications, provided for under the act approved September twenty second last, was convened October thirtieth, eighteen eighty eight, and plans and specifications for procuring forgings for eight, ten, and twelve inch guns, under provisions of Section four and also for procuring 12-inch bridge-loading mortars, cast iron, hooped with steel, under the provisions of Section 5 of the said Act, were submitted to the Secretary of War for reference to the Board by the Ordnance Department on the same date. These plans and specifications having been promptly approved by the Board and the Secretary of War, the necessary authority to publish advertisements inviting proposals in the newspapers, Throughout the country was granted by the Secretary on November 12, and on November 13 the advertisements were sent out to the different newspapers designated. The bids for the steel forgings are to be opened on December 20, 1888, and for the mortars on December 15, 1888. A board of ordnance officers was convened at the Waterloo Arsenal on October 4, 1888 to prepare the necessary plans and specifications for the establishment of an army gun factory at that point. The preliminary report of this Board, with estimates for shop buildings and officers' quarters, was approved by the Board of Ordnance and Fortifications, November 6 and 8. The specifications and form of advertisement and instructions to bidders have been prepared, and advertisements inviting proposals for the excavations for the shop building and for erecting the two sets of officers' quarters have been published. The detailed drawings and specifications for the gun factory building are well in hand and will be finished within three or four months when bids will be invited for the erection of the building. The list of machines, etc. is made out, and it is expected that the plans for the large lathes, etc. will be completed within about four months and after approval by the Board of Ordnance and Fortifications, bids for furnishing the same will be invited. The machines and other fixtures will be completed as soon as the shop is in readiness to receive them, probably about July 1890. Under the provisions of the Army Bill for the procurement of pneumatic dynamite guns, the necessary specifications are now being prepared, and advertisements for proposals will issue early in December. The guns will probably be of 15 inches caliber and fire a projectile that will carry a charge each of about 500 pounds of explosive gelatin with full caliber projectiles. The guns will probably be delivered in from 6 to 10 months from the date of the contract so that all the guns of this class that can be procured under the provisions of the law will be purchased during the year 1889. I earnestly request... That the recommendations contained in the secretary's report all of which are in my opinion calculated to increase the usefulness and discipline of the army may receive the consideration of the congress among these the proposal that there should be provided a plan for the examination of officers to test their fitness for promotion is of the utmost importance this reform has been before recommended in the reports of the secretary and its expediency is so fully demonstrated by the argument he presents in its favour that its adoption should no longer be neglected. The death of General Sheridan in August last was a national affliction. The army then lost the grandest of its chiefs. The country lost a brave and experienced soldier, a wise and discreet counsellor, and a modest and sensible man. Those who in any manner came within the range of his personal association will never fail to pay deserved and willing homage to his greatness and the glory of his career, but they will cherish with more tender sensibility the loving memory of his simple, generous, and considerate nature. The Apache Indians, whose removal from their reservation in Arizona, followed the capture of those of their number who engaged in a bloody and murderous raid during a part of the years of 1885 and 1886, are now held as prisoners of war at Mount Vernon Barracks, in the state of Alabama. They numbered of the 31st day of October, the date of the last report, 83 men, 170 women, 70 boys and 59 girls, in all 382 persons. The commanding officer states that they are in good health and contented, and that they are kept employed as fully as is possible in the circumstances the children as they arrive at a suitable age are sent to the indian schools at carlisle and hampton last summer some charitable and kind people asked permission to send two teachers to these indians for the purpose of instructing the adults as well as such children as should be found there such permission was readily granted accommodations were provided for the teachers and some portions of the buildings at the barracks were made available for school purposes the good work contemplated has been commenced and the teachers engaged are paid by the ladies with whom the plan originated i am not at all in sympathy with those benevolent but injudicious people who are constantly insisting that these indians should be returned to the reservation their removal was an absolute necessity if the lives and property of citizens upon the frontier are to be at all regarded by the government their continued restraint at a distance from the scene of their repeated and cruel murders and outrages is still necessary it is a mistaken philanthropy every way injurious which prompts the desire to see these savages return to their old hounds they are in their present location as the result of the best judgment of those having official responsibility in the matter and who are by no means lacking in kind consideration for the indians a number of these prisoners have forfeited their lives to outrage law and humanity. Experience has proved that they are dangerous and cannot be trusted. This is true not only of those who on the warpath have the before actually been guilty of atrocious murder, but of their kindred and friends, who, while they remain upon their reservation, furnished aid and comfort to those absent with bloody intent. These prisoners should be treated kindly and kept in restraint, far from the locality of their former reservation. They should be subjected to efforts calculated to lead to their improvement and the softening of their savage and cruel instincts. But their return to their old home should be persistently resisted. The secretary in his report gives a graphic history of these Indians, and recites with painful vividness their bloody deeds and the unhappy failure of the government to manage them by peaceful means. It will be amazing if a perusal of this history will allow the survival of a desire for the return of these prisoners to their reservation upon sentimental or any other grounds. The report of the Secretary of the Navy demonstrates very intelligent management in that important department, and discloses the most satisfactory progress in the work of reconstructing the navy made during the past year. Of the ships in course of construction, five, viz., the Charleston, Baltimore, Yorktown, Vesuvius and the Petrol, have in that time been launched and are rapidly approaching completion, and in addition to the above, the Philadelphia, the San Francisco, the Newark, the Bennington, the Concord, and the Hareshoff, Torpedo Boat, are all under contract for delivery to the department during the next year. The progress already made and being made gives good ground for the expectation that these 11 vessels will be incorporated as part of the American Navy within the next 12 months. The report shows that notwithstanding the large expenditures for new construction and the additional labor they involve, the total ordinary of current expenditures of the Department of the three years ending June 1888 are less by more than 20% than such expenditures for the three years ending June thirtieth, 1884. The various steps which have been taken to improve the business methods of the Department are reviewed by the Secretary. The purchasing of supplies has been consolidated and placed under a responsible bureau head this has resulted in the curtailment of open purchases, which in the years 1884 and 1885 amounted to over 50% of all the purchases of the department, to less than 11%, so that at the present time about 90% of the total departmental purchases are made by contract and after competition. As the expenditures on this account exceed on average of 2 million annually, it is evident that an important improvement in the system has been inaugurated and substantial economies introduced. The report of the Postmaster General shows a marked increase of business in every branch of the Postal Service. The number of post offices on July first, 1, 1888 was 57,376. An increase of 6,124 in three years and of 2,219 for the last fiscal year. The latter mentioned increase is classified as follows. New England states none. Middle states 181. Southern states and Indian territory 1,406. The states and territories of the Pacific coast 190. The 10 states and territories of the West and Northwest 435 District of Columbia, 2 End of Section 9 End of State of the Union Addresses 1885 to 1888